You're listening to the Hearth of Weird podcast. Where we discuss heathenry, lore, and legend. And the modern take on an ancient practice. Hello and welcome to the Hearth of Weird podcast. My name is Oz. And I'm Kira. And Today. <laughs> I'm like, I never know what to say after that. I'm like, wait, we need to That's figure fine. it out. That's all. We just go right into it. Today, we'll be speaking about the creation story in Norse mythology and how we believe it is related to the Big Bang Theory. Before we begin this episode, um, I'm going to take a little bit of time here and give a brief content warning. Are you ready? I'm so ready. <laughs> okay. Content warning. The topics presented in this show are primarily the ideas and opinions of two opinionated assholes. This podcast is not meant to be a historical or academic source and should not be cited as such. The ideas and opinions posited here are theoretical, sourced when we can provide a source, but even then it is wise to remember that the only source material we have is one, maybe two regions lore, riddled with contradictions and plot holes. The rest is all ideas and theories presented by academics with incredibly varied credentials and typically from contextual evidence such as archaeology, anthropology, etymology, and ancient forms of art and entertainment, i.e. accounts that were not written with historical accuracy in mind. The majority of what is accepted as known is still theoretical with varying degrees of validity and or legitimacy. Please think of this show as a thought exercise and do your own research in the areas that call to you. Yeah! (laughs) So just so we're clear... We're just here to talk about shit that we love. If you don't like it, then tell us and we'll talk about it. Or don't. I don't care. Yeah. If you have other knowledge that you want to present and things that you want to get into, gods, I love that. I love a new rabbit hole. I love a new thought process, a new way of thinking. So, like, it's not that we're closed to feedback. It's just, you know, we don't know everything. We are limited to our own perspective and our own knowledge that we've gathered and the interpretations therein. Share yours with us. That's cool. We love it. Yeah. Please note that anything that we say, we're going to be omitting, in my opinion, from every single sentence in our podcast, because it's both a waste of our time and yours. Please just assume, unless a source is cited, it's an opinion. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Before we get into the creation story, did you want to get into some bullshittery this week? Honestly, this week... I really don't have any bullshittery to get into except for I want to thank every single person who has liked, commented, shared, reposted, subscribed. Like our launch of this podcast has been humbling and utterly mind-blowing. And the people that have come through to show their support and mention us on their channels and just I, I never expected it to go this way. And I am just utterly floored and so full of gratitude. Like, truly. Same. That's a lot that of is... words. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. We, we hit a thousand followers. No, I just didn't. I don't have anything to add. Like, you said that so perfectly. Like, that's exactly how I feel. We hit over a thousand followers in our first week on TikTok. So, obviously, people enjoy what we're saying. 
Within the first 72 hours, we hit a yeah. thousand followers. Like we appreciate you, all of you. So fucking much. Every single one of you. Like I know that it may not seem like much, but everything that you're doing, even just to like a post that we make, is getting us out there and bringing more people to us. And like, I'm just, again, I'm utterly, utterly floored. <laughs> um, I have, I have nothing else to talk about this week. I have not been paying attention to anything else online. I've just been really enjoying this experience. Same. And, I have and no... sharing this with you. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. I have no bullshittery to discuss either because this week's been great. I love it. I love it so much. I'm so excited. And this is just the beginning. Like, <laughs> I can't wait. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you guys. Today, so today we're getting into the creation story and the Big Bang Theory. And this this was a conversation actually spawned um, in my Discord server uh, by our buddy Dova. And so Dova came into the Discord server one day and he said he'd been reading the Poetic Edda and asked, how do you reconcile the Big Bang and the creation story? And I opened my eyes. I was laying in my bed and I read that sentence and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I have so much to say. I was like, they are the same story. And I was like, you know what? You know what? First, I need to get up, get my coffee, get my head straight because it can get complex. So that's the other thing. This is just our personal feelings on how they align. And I'm so excited to share this theory with you guys. But like, it is so fucking cool. I'm so, so excited to get into it. It can get a little complex, but we're going to try to keep it keep it base level. Because like this is the first actual episode where we're getting into lore and what that can mean, potentially. And so like while I love doing the lore deep dives, don't get overwhelmed. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's there's a lot to it. And what I would really enjoy if our listeners kept in mind when listening to this and future podcasts episodes specifically about lore is that these things are open to interpretation uh, neither of us on this show are lore purists so i don't believe that there was a gigantic cow in space feeding a gigantic man i don't believe that right metaphors allegories i believe that metaphor and allegory so when you're listening to this understand that these are the opinions of two opinionated assholes right right and that these things are open to interpretation Yes, absolutely. And I'm I'm not I am not one that is entirely banking on metaphor and allegory either. I recognize that it exists in the lore. I'm definitely not a literalist, but I do believe it is symbolic of actual beings that yeah. are. So yeah. um and you, you guys will get to know our viewpoints on that the further we get in this. Um but yeah, I'm really excited to dive into this with you. Did you want to tell the people the creation story? Sure. <laughs> sure. So <laughs> my version of the creation story is a, a a collection of many different people's versions of the creation story. Of course, I'm not Jackson Crawford. I'm not an Old Norse translator. So I took the translations of other people and I combined them into one story. And that's what I tell my children. That's how so. it's done, though, right? That's how it's yeah. done. The people yeah. of, you know, our forebears were not reading out of books to one another. They didn't have right. books. These were stories told around a campfire. They were going to be different. They were going to emphasize the lesson that they wanted to focus on that day. Or they were going to emphasize the character they thought was the coolest, you know? So it's always going to be painted in a different light. And so this is just, consider it a continuation of ancient tradition. Right. 
And also understand that, again, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it a thousand more times, that there was no homogeny in Scandinavia. This story was most likely thousands of pieces differently across different families, tribes, areas of Scandinavia, and other places that shared the same type of beliefs. Again, I say most likely because we don't know, but I'm going to assume, because of all of the research that has gone into it, that there was no homogeny. There was no unified cosmology. There was no canon. Absolutely. The Odin wink. We are on a, a audio platform primarily. <laughs> so I'm just explaining what that noise is. <laughs> the Odin wink. Cold ice. As cold as it can get. And fire hotter than the sun. That is how our that's how life began in this realm. That's the beginning. In the south, there was a realm called Muspelheim. And in the north, there was a realm called Niflheim. And yes, I'm going to butcher pronunciations. Sue me. Don't sue me. Don't sue me. Please don't sue us. Please don't sue us. Um, in the middle of these two realms was an area called Gnunga Gap. It was just the abyss. It was nothing. It was an expanse. In Muspelheim, uh, Sirt guards the borders, a gigantic you know, fire giant. That's redundant. But yeah fire giant named Sirt with his gigantic flaming sword protects the borders of Muspelheim. Uh, and he's going to wait for Ragnarok because he wants to bring all the fire giants and come fight the gods. In the north in Niflheim is a land of ice and cold wind and darkness. It's also the location of the spring Virgilmir. And this spring... Uh, depending on the source, apparently, is the uh, source of 11 or 12 rivers. Uh, the name of these rivers is not in my native tongue, so I'm going to say it, but don't get mad at me. Alivagar. Sorry about that. <laughs> they are the cool Svol and Guntra of the Defiant, Fjorm and the bubbling Thimbulthol, the fearsome Slid and the storming Creed. Silg, Ilg, Broadveed, and Lapt, which shrieks like lightning. Mm -hmm. The frozen Gjol is the final. Between these realms, as I mentioned, is the Gnunga Gap. The venom that's in these rivers that springs forth from the Virgilmere uh, thickens and congeals at the south end of Niflheim to form hoarfrost. So the northern part of the Ganunga Gap was cold and covered in ice, where the southern part of Ganunga Gap was warm and on fire. <clears throat> Infinitely hot. Infinitely hot. <laughs> <laughs> there the warm breath reached upward and licked the ice of Niflheim, and it caused it to drip. And it dripped and dripped and dripped into the Ganunga Gap, and from that... That venom in these rivers was formed Ymir, the primordial giant. While he was asleep, he began to sweat, as one does, of course. Like we do. <laughs> a male and a female grew from the oozing sweat under his arms, and one of his legs somehow fathered a son with the other leg. That son's name was Thrudgelmir. Sometimes I'm just really glad that I'm not a giant. That Like critters being born of my sleep sweat feels very 
unsettling. Yeah. I don't need more quitters. No, no. These were the first frost giants. Um, generally attested to in Old Norse as Hrim Thursar, which means, in English, frost giant. What? <laughs> what? Crazy. <laughs> Ymir was the father of all the frost giants. As more of the ice melted, um, the fluid that ran off of this ice took the form of a giant cow, believe it or not, and her name was Audhumla. Uh, Emir fed off of the rivers of milk that came from Audumla's udder, and uh, Audumla fed herself by licking the salty ice of Niflheim. She licked and licked and licked the salty ice to nourish herself, and by the end of the first day, a man's hair had come out, and by the end of the second, his head had come out, and by the end of the third day of her licking this ice, the whole man had come out. Uh, his name was Buri. Buri... Um, in some translations, means the producing. Makes sense. Yeah. Buri was tall and strong and handsome. He had a son called Bor. Bor, in some translations, means the produced. Makes total sense. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. married a Bor married a daughter of Bolthorn, who was a frost giant. Her name was Bestla. She had three children. All three of them were sons. The first one was Odin. The second was Vili. And the third was Ve. So just in case our listeners didn't actually catch that, Odin is a frost giant. <laughs> this was all in the beginning before there was anything here on our realm. We didn't have a realm at that time. Uh, the three sons of Bor, uh, they had no love for Ymir. Or the growing race of the frost giants. They believed them to be brutal and unruly beings. As time went on, the brothers grew to hate the giants, um, and eventually they started a fight that they eventually won against Emir and his kin. The blood rushing forth from Emir and his wounds killed all the frost giants, <laughs> except for two. There were two frost giants that survived, Burglemir and his wife. Burglemir is the son of Thrudgelmir, which is the son of Ymir, that the frost giants called Argelmir. They rode out on a wave of Ymir's blood in a hollowed tree trunk or in a, on a chest, depends on the translation. Odin, Vili, and Ve, they took the body of this primordial giant and they hoisted it up onto their shoulders and carted it out to the middle of the Ginunga Gap. And that is where they made earth from, the earth. Our, our realm. In some translations, they crafted our realm specifically from Emir. In some translations, they crafted earth out of Emir, and then our realm is just a piece of the earth. Right. Uh, his, his, the earth is from his flesh, and the mountains are from his bones, and from his teeth and broken bone bits, they made rocks and boulders and stones. The blood of Emir was so plentiful that they made it into seas and lakes and rivers. Then the three brothers raised Emir's skull into the sky and from it placed so that each corner of his skull reached out to the corners of the earth. They set a dwarf under each of these corners. Their names were Nordri, which means north, Austri, which means east, Sundri, which means south, and Vestri, which means west. Odinvili and Ve, um, they seized sparks from Muspelheim and they threw them up on the inside of Emir's skull to create stars. 
uh, and in this way, the brothers gave each of each star its proper place. Uh, some were fixed, and some were set to follow paths that were appointed for them by the gods. The three sons of Bor used Amir's brain as well to create all of the heavy clouds that we have in our atmosphere. They flung it up into the air. Odinville and Vey were uh, okay. So here's the thing: in in this, in some versions of this story, Odinville and Vey are the progenitors of man. In other versions of this story. Um, Odin, Honir, and Lothar are the progenitors of man. And yes. um, in most of the of the translations that we have, Odin, Vili, and Ve made the realm, and Odin, Honir, and Lothar made us. So just so the listeners know. Okay. So Lothar and Hanir, Honir, Hanir, Hanir, I don't know. How are you say it? Yes. Uh are not Odin's brothers. No, they're not, in theory. So it's not... Okay, so if we're looking at the lore, are they clearly separate people? Because no. Hon- Honir and Lothar are never mentioned to be Odin's brothers, right? No, that's true. Are they mentioned in the... in any other creation sort? Like, okay, I know that we just looked at this. Can we clarify for the people... Like, where did that misconception spring? Was it Snorri's writing? I believe that it was. Um, I believe that it was Snorri. There's also something to consider in this, too, in that since this is poetry, a lot of what is said in poetry are are kennings, metaphors. And so a, a kenning for um, someone very close to you, I'm not sure if you could go so far as to say a sibling, but someone very close to you would be Honier's friend or Lothar's friend, or Odin's friend, which um, Honir and Lothar are called Honir's friend, Lothar's friend, Odin's friend. And Loki is also referred to as Honir's friend and Odin's friend. We don't see those connections with Vili and Ve. Vili and Ve are actually only mentioned one time. I'm seeing that in Snorri's prose, Edda, that he just says that the sons of Bor created man mm-hmm. um and he just says the first son gave them this the second son gave them this the third son yes. gave them this it doesn't specify who gave what to whom um the other sources that we have outside of snorri's prose none of them say Vili and ve were the ones who gifted man with this correct Correct, actually. In the oldest source that I have of this, which would be Benjamin Thorpe's Norse Mythology, Volume 1, written in 1850, page 10. Men came into existence when three mighty benevolent gods, Odin, Honir, and Lothar, left the assembly to make an excursion. On the earth they found Ask and Embla, with little power and without destiny, Spirit they had not, nor sense, nor blood, nor power of motion, nor fair color. That also, I wanted to talk about that. Fair color is not referring to the color of their skin being white. No. It's about the color of their skin being skin colored and not wood colored. Right. Well, and also, like, lit with the breath of life, the hue of life. Right. They could have looked dead. Odin gave them spirit. Honir's sense, Lothar, blood, and fair color, 
somewhat less circumstantially, though illustratively it is related in Snorri's Edda that Bor's sons, walking on the seashore, found two trees, which they took up and created men of them. And so in Snorri's Edda, it states that Odin, Vili, and Ve, potentially by saying Bor's sons, after listing Bor's sons earlier in the creation story. I think that's where the confusion comes in, because every other story, I'm looking through the poetic Edda now, every other story names Odin, Honir, and Lothar. Yeah. The only attestation to them being Vili and Ve that I'm finding could be wrong, right, um, is Snorri's prose, which... I mean, we've said before that the lore contains contradictions, and this is a prime example of that. Absolutely. I mean, also, to, to be fair, like, uh, Lothar is attested to as being a son of Boren Besla. So when they're saying Odin's sons, they could also be referring to Lothar. At the very you least, I'm not sure about Hynir. Bor's sons? Bor's sons. Buri was licked from the ice. Bor mm-hmm. is son of Buri. Yes. Married Besla. Had three yes. sons. Lothar is also considered a son. Where is that? Uh, I'm pulling it up right now. Hang on. Thank you. Because in the prose, it says, Boren Besla had three sons. One was called Odin, one Vili, and the third Ve. It is my belief that this Odin and his brothers are the rulers of heaven and earth. Even in here, Snorri says it is my belief. <laughs> true so i there is also an interesting connection um if you look at lother and honir and vili and ve in german germanic sources cite lother as being odin's brother and honir being odin's brother in place of vili and ve vili and ve in are place only of. yes Odin, Villian Vey are only ever mentioned by Snorri. No, they're written in Lokasena too. That is the only thing, that is the only source, however, in the Poetic Edda where I could find them mentioned at all. Where, how does it mention them in that story? Like, when it, it says say exactly? Frigg's a big old hoe bag and sleeps with them. Is it really? Because it, it mentions them by name? Yes. However, that could be a matter of translation. We should find the original text, which I can actually do right now. I can find the original, the original uh, language. Because this is a fun little is, rabbit hole. Yeah. If there is any merit to those names just being different versions in different languages of the same name, then that's a pretty significant piece to that story. Totally. But I feel like we wouldn't be the discoverers of that on this podcast. No. Like, we're talking how... There are a lot of scholars that will argue whether or not they're the same people. And I feel like they have a lot more information at their fingertips than we do. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. So, but I, I do like that we're getting into how these possibly could be seen as the same. Like where the argument comes from, where there's confusion. What I'm looking at is voluspa.org, which provides the provides a translation but then also provides Old Norse. It's Old Norse written here. And this is also why we recommend having various translations of different stories. If you really want to get into the nitty gritty of this, of these stories um, or of the accuracy. Um, yeah. There are a lot of assumptions made about Vili and Ve 
Like in Heimskringla, the original Old Norse version of Heimskringla, it says that Vilian Ve governed governed the realm when Odin was gone, but it doesn't say Vilian Ve governed the realm. It says Odin's brothers governed the realm. Okay. In Old Norse, here is the here is the actual word for word translation. The names given in stanza 26 of Lokasena. Loki spake. Be silent, Frigg, thou art Fjorgan's wife, but ever lustful in love. For Vili and Ve, thou wife of Vithrir, both in thy bosom have lain. I mean, that's a direct translation to like old English, right? The point is, <laughs> even in the old Norse words, it mentions Vili and Ve in the original poem. Okay, so arguably, <laughs> there could be two things happening here. Uh, Hanier and Lothar could be Villian Vey. They could not be Villian Vey because also in every other story in where Hanier and Lothar are mentioned, they're they're called Hanier and Lothar. Um, and there's also the argument that Loki is Lothar because they pal around the three of them all the time in mm-hmm. other tales. Um, so this is what we mean when things are up to interpretation. Right. Uh, you can you can easily come to the same conclusion. Just as easily, I think you can argue either way that Lothar and Hainir are different gods than Billy and Bay, or that they are one and the same. There's really no conclusive evidence. Right. Right. It's really difficult to find what really was said and who these things really are. I think it really just depends. Honestly, I think the Billy and Bay like uh, rabbit hole is just kind of fun, but it doesn't really change my opinion, my personal opinion about like my faith or beliefs. Um, it is a really interesting rabbit hole though, just yeah. kind of see where these stories came from. It does. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I, I honestly think that it lends to the fact that, um, these stories come from many different places and they may have been told many different times with many different names, right? Um, the names of Odin's brothers could have been Villian Vey in one geographical region and could be Hanir and Lothar in another just how they would have evolved as these families spread apart and moved and created their own families and tribes and passed down the stories. So it could be a nod to that as well. It could be an intentional nod to that. Could be. It could be. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Off that tangent, you want to get back into the story? Yeah. (sighs) So after the people were created, right, that's where we, that's where we ended off there is the people were created um, the man was called Ask, which uh, means Ash, and the woman was called Embla, which means Elm. And they gave us this realm. They called it Midgard, uh, and all the families and nations and races of men are descended from these two driftwood pieces. And when I, I think that they really made they made a mistake because now we are driftwood with anxiety. Yeah, that's what they did. They just they gave perfectly good driftwood anxiety. <laughs> all manner of mental illness and torments <laughs> yeah yeah there's a, a giant and he had a child his name was narvi he had a child called night and she was dark-eyed dark-haired and dark of skin as the rest of her family she got married three times uh her first husband was called Nagalfari, which of course is really interesting because that's also the name of the ship that's made of toenails Oh my gosh. Yeah. Is it the same? 
The exact same? Oh my gosh. It's, it's very close if it's not, <laughs> if not. Thank you for that rabbit hole. It's okay. a very close, closely related word at the very least. <laughs> Their son was Oud. Uh, her second husband was Anar. And I'm butchering these names. Uh, they had a daughter called Earth or Yord. Um, her third husband was Delling, who was related to the sons of Bor. Uh, their son was called Day, and like all of his father's side of the family, he was radiant and fair-skinned. Odin took Nott and Dogger, night and day, and set them in horse-drawn chariots and put them in the sky to ride around the world every day. Night leads the way, and her horse is called... Uh, it's, a, it's a frosty-maned horse called Hrimfaxi, and this means ice-maned, and the, the idea is that we have... Uh, the, the spit from his bridle is the dew in the morning. Delicious. Oh, yeah. Love that. Uh, Dogger's horse is called Skinfaxi, which essentially means shining mane. Uh, and his mane is so bright that it lights up all of the sky and the earth. Uh, there's a man named Mundelfari, and he lives in Midgard, and he had two children. And they were so beautiful. He called his son Mani, and he called his daughter Sol. Um... And these, the gods didn't like that for some reason. Like, they just were like, no, fuck that How guy. How dare you? So they like, took that's what we kids. named our celestial things. You can't name your kids that. Right, right. And they got pissed. So Odin, like, stole these children and then, like, threw them into the sky. That would be alarming. Put them in chariots. <laughs> so Mani leads the way for Nott. So Mani kind of drives this chariot that, that holds the moon across the sky. And Sol drives the chariot that holds the sun. So the sun is Sol, and the person who drives the chariot of the sun is Sol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same thing with Mani. Um, <laughs> it's great. One of Sol's horses' name is Arvak, means early awake. Um, the other one was called Allsfeed, which is like very, very fast, very fast, Allsfeed. Uh, they also play the, the Aesir, the gods. They placed cold iron bellows under their shoulder blades to keep them cool. Ooh. Yeah. The sun's always in a great hurry um, because there is a wolf chasing her. That, that's, that, that seems fine. Yeah. There's a <laughs> giant these, wolf. Where did these wolves come from? Interesting. Interesting you ask. There's two wolves that chase these celestial bodies. Skull chases Soul and Hati chases Mani and... Um, these, uh, these wolves are the children of Rodvitnir. Rodvitnir. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's a word. It's a thing. Either way. <laughs> um, the other, I mentioned the other great wolf, Hati, chases, chases Mani around the world. Um, after these wolves also were, have been said to be the children of Fenrir, but we don't actually have any evidence that these wolves, Skull and Hati, are the children of Fenrir, unless Rodvitnir is another name for Fenrir, which I have not been able to corroborate. Okay, good to know. After the sons of Bor made the first man and woman, and they set the sun and the moon in the sky, um, they remembered that there were these worms that were crawling around in Emir's flesh. Super tasty, super tasty. Um, they gave these worms the shape of men, magic okay. and crafting abilities and they turned them these these maggots that were crawling around in emir's flesh they turned them into dwarves oh uh, okay okay so yeah. 
Right. All right. Yeah. That's... They're leaders. You know, we all come from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I guess we do. Some of us are worms and a giant. Yeah. <laughs> some are. Some people are driftwood given life. Some people are worms. That's the truth. Um, <laughs> Mod Sognir uh, is the leader of the dwarves originally there's many but he's the first leader of the dwarves is mod sognir and his deputy is durin um after the sons of bor made all of the things they crafted asgard which is their realm and uh it has a gigantic beautiful stronghold and it's a place of these green shining plains and and uh hills and trees and forests it's a beautiful place high over midgard in theory um, and the two realms were linked by the Bifrost, or Bifrost, depending on how you feel like saying that word, which is a flaming rainbow bridge. Gorgeous. I actually, you know what I love? I love how Marvel depicted it. I know I that that's like sacrilege in our community, like nim, 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 Marvel, but I loved it. I loved that depiction. It was gorgeous. Yeah, they did a really good job. It's really cool looking. This was the beginning of all that has happened, remembered or forgotten, all that has happened since, and all the regions of the world live under the branches of the world tree, Yggdrasil. I love how people pronounce that word sometimes. Oh yeah, no, no, no. And I mean, I mean, I feel like we are also pronouncing it wrong because we're not pronouncing it like in Old Norse, like Yggdrasil, Yggdrasil. <laughs> you have to say it spooky i guess uh but no yagdrasil yigdrasil um all of, <laughs> all of the y sounds i like that it, i like it you like, I like when they say yagdrasil i like people say yamir <laughs> yamir <laughs> your mama your mama and your father technically <laughs> i love that too I love that too. Did you do you do you understand? Like I know you do, but you, the listeners, do you understand that in order to um, be capable of what is called parthenogenesis, which means creating your own children without a partner, you must be some kind of both male and female thing, which means that Emir was not a male. Right. Right. Very Absolutely. cool. Very parthenogenesis. cool. I love that. That's a great word. Parthenogenesis. Parthenogenesis. <laughs> <laughs> I feel three times smarter. I feel like my brain, my brain just grew three times bigger. Uh, I mean, that's essentially like the end of the real creation story. There are some other like pieces to it where there's like there's three main roots of Yggdrasil. One of them goes uh, into Jotunheim, into Mimir as well. Um, one of them goes into Asgard at the Well of Erd, um, and one of them is in Niflheim at the Virgilmir, at the Spring of Virgilmir. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as the creation, and that's what I—that's another piece that I wanted to point out too. This is not the creation of the entire Norse cosmos. There were already realms existing. There were already beings that were there. These were not. This was not the birth of the first beings in the Norse cosmology. This was just the origin story for Asgard and Midgard. Yes. Yes, that's one thing that I like to point out as well is that our like just like you said our creation story is not the creation of everything. So like thinking about that, like it might be our beginning, but it's not everything's beginning. And so right. these gods didn't create the universe, they just created our universe. Right. 
Um, okay, are you ready to get into the Big Bang and that comparison? I'm kind of stoked. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, and I'm gonna say the same thing that I said to to uh, Dova in our server, which is that to believe that our forebears. I mean, when we're looking at them through a modern lens, it's easy. It's easy to get there. It's it's easy to believe that our forebears were a bunch of country bumpkins, right? Mm -hmm. Like they didn't have books. They didn't have formal education as we know it today. Um, A lot of people look at superstition and magic and all of that as a sign of somebody being uneducated. But my personal opinion is that while they lacked any formal education, we need to recognize that they were intimately connected with the forces around them intimately connected right so they understood the forces of nature far better than i could i am seeking those connections that is the path i walk is seeking those connections fostering those connections growing those connections they lived that connection right they understood the ebb and flow of nature they were very really affected by drought by natural disaster by bad harvest this every every season was life or death right they walked with the pulse of yord the 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 connection is deeper than we could imagine and they were also an inspired people so these connections with the world and the natural forces and the universe inspired them to create these works of art and that is what this path is based on. That's what this 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 spiritual walk consists of is literally art. They were they wrote songs. These are songs. These are poems. They are literally imbued with magic. They are imbued with metaphor and allegory. And like I so I I hate to look at them as though they were of lesser intelligence. They weren't. They understood that the earth was a globe, right? They understood that. That is written. That is attested to. So when I'm when I'm looking at this and I see the Big Bang Theory, which is simply the most widely accepted explanation for the dawn of the universe, it is a theory, right? It is incredible to me to see the similarities in that breakdown. Incredible to me. Yeah. Um, I... It's just that instead of seeing it as black and white, instead of me throwing on a lab coat and going, well, here's how subatomic particles work, we are looking at it as an intentional thing. We are looking at it being because of a divine will, that the structure of the cosmos was weaved by the Norns, was held together by Yggdrasil, right? Like the existence of space and time and life and all of that, all of this really coincides with the creation story you just read. Yeah. Something from nothing. Something from chaos and nothing. Yes. And so like, okay, okay. So we're looking at, when we look at the Big Bang Theory, right? We're looking at this, this infinitely dense point that is hotter than we can imagine. Think of it as like the, the the black hole on steroids, right? This is how this is typically understood, correct? Like, and then the theory goes that from that point was an explosion, okay? And that point is considered 
the birth of the structure of the universe. However, we need to remember that the first portion of the Big Bang Theory was only energy. There was no matter. There was no mass that could be measured. And so we see that, you know, the universe the universal energy that was, and I'm talking big bang theory, not cosmology, right? Not our cosmology right now. Then we have the super forces that separate within this big void of nothing, right? We have gravity, we have um, nuclear force, we have electromagnetic force, and we have weak force. These are the things that can later make atoms exist, pull together these, these, what are they called? Uh, quarks <laughs> something i can't remember the name do you know the name <laughs> quarks are small <laughs> okay great perfect yes all that um but anyway so we had all the ingredients that we needed for atoms to exist but it was still too hot it was still too hot so we literally had a yawning void full of forces that were unseen unmeasurable it was the nothing that was not nothing it was the void full of potential. It was Kuhn Gagab. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. Okay. 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 Now I'm going to get into my, I feel like I'm like Charlie Day on, on Always Sunny with like all my red strings. Just like, oh my, all right. And then we say, it, it all makes sense. But like it does. And this is why I love this. And I love this. Okay. So then we have Emir, right? And mm-hmm. who is, who is the formation Things start to cool down. Things start to mix together. Things start to become matter, right? Like we have, which lines up with the creation of protons and neutrons and eventually uh, elements. They organize themselves into the elements, right? Um, and atomic clouds and, and, and whatnot. So we have the similarity there in these forces forming mass. We have our two main beings, right? We have... Emir, and also looking at the names, right? Even just looking at the names. There are several names for Emir, but the two main ones, Emir and Orgomir. Emir just means sound. So again, it is an energy, it is a force that is unmeasurable. Immeasurable, immeasurable, but it still exists. It is it is the the nothing that is something, right? Yeah. Um and then Orgomir means mass or sand or gravel or whatever the translation is but it's something right it's a collection of particles it is an actual physical measurable thing mm-hmm. then we have Adhumla, who is also created from these forces these elements and her name breaks down to uh i mean cow right but also cow of riches or abundance okay so we have the elements of mass. We also have this nourishing force that allows creation to grow. Emir can grow and not only grow, but be nourished to a point where he can then spring forth other beings from this source mass. And then we see the family start to form. And then we see the, 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 all of these things spring forth from these two these two primordial beings, all of it is an alignment. All of it is an alignment. And then come the Aesir, you know, the, the, the beings that are springing forth, they're organizing themselves into tribes. They are organizing themselves into family. Then the Aesir are like, they have always stood for organization to me. 
right? They came into this chaos. They came in with this this clay of Emir, um, who had been slain, and they're they're creating all of these all of these things with this with this clay, this this primordial goop now, creating goop um, lands and <laughs> what did you say? Goop, goop, creating lands and creating more beings and creating anyway, creating entire fucking realms. But they are also organizing it and structuring it. To where now we have time. They create time. Linear time. Organized time. They're creating days, months, weeks, years, minutes, seconds. Organized time. You know, and they are... Everything Everything that the Aesir does takes chaotic elements and structures it. Aesir is structure. That tribe is structure. You know, like, but that's what I mean. Everything, everything lines up with Big Bang. It does. It's so fucking cool to me. Yeah, it's really cool. I really like that you mentioned that they organized themselves into tribes and families because it makes me think about, like, what is a god? Yes. Like, these things, the organizers of our realm here are our gods, but these are all the same race of beings, Jotuns, frost giants of all types, like they are all the same race of beings, just different tribes. So in my opinion, these are just our gods. And while there are many listed in the source material, the only reason that they are our gods is because they had a hand in the creation of our realm. But all of these other things that are the same race as our gods, they at the very least are still deity. I agree with you, though. I completely agree with you. And I feel we get into this argument a lot, right? Where it's like, well, that's you can't worship that being. That's not a god. I'm like, okay, well, how are we looking at gods then? Because if we are looking at the source material, like you said, there are there is a delineation there within like Prose Edda, for example, that is like, this is a god, this is a god, this is a list of gods and goddesses, the As and the Asenur. And, you know, there's an official list however to me that does not that does not exclude the other beings from veneration if you so choose i would never exclude hell from veneration i would never exclude fenrir from veneration i don't i don't exclude any of these other beings that people are pulled toward or want to want to venerate or even emulate um aspects of their of their personality or their um, strengths or weaknesses or, or associate with them in some way, I don't exclude those beings from being gods. Right. I, like, as you mentioned, there is a list of deities in what we consider the source material. But in that source material, when it says that list of beings that are gods, it doesn't say, but there are no others. Correct. It just says, these are gods. It doesn't say, the other things, though, they're not gods. They are lesser so, beings. <laughs> I've had that argument so many times because people will say, well, there's a list. And I'll say, yes, while there is a list, that list does not say at the end and nothing else is a god. Right, right. And so I have said always that a god to me, right, is a deific being who is somehow involved in the human existence, right? Can right. have can have influence or power over the either environment we live in or the well-being, or our fortunes, right? And so, like, there are so many things that fall into that. So many things yeah. that fall into that. They don't have to be in a list, you know? Right. Like, 
if they are associated with us in any way, you know, well, okay, that's a whole other tangent. Well, the Norns? Are the Norns not in some way a god? Like gods? They're not like... listed as gods in the lore. Right. But I, I honestly, and I've always said too, that I, I actually see the Norns as kind of being the gods to the gods. Because too. they are the weavers of weird, which is the structure of the universe, and the gods are bound by weird as well. Yeah. They're attested to as weaving the fate of every being in the cosmos, and that includes the gods. And that's an, uh, the, the interesting thing about what is and is not a god, too, is that people will say, oh, well, historically this was not venerated. Most of our pantheon that everyone considers gods were not venerated historically. Most of them. Right. Well, and I, I don't know that. I don't know that. Right. Well, yeah, like, we don't we don't know. There's no you can't like, know. But like there are a lot of um, players in the list of gods that you don't really see historical attestations to having temples or having statuettes or having, you know, anything that indicates um, a veneration. But right. they're still listed, you know, well, yeah, I mean, lack of evidence does not indicate lack of existence. Right. But then we get into a, I mean, that just opens up a whole, <laughs> a whole slew of rabbit holes, but that's, what's fun. That's, what's fun about this. That's what, that is what fuels the thought exploration. That's why it's important not to be black and white, at least to me, to me. Right. I know that a lot of people crave structure and they want a list of what we do, what we believe in, who we worship, who we do not. That doesn't exist. There is no unified right. canon as to what that is. There are some very, very strong opinions, right? Mine included. Mine included. We have the whole pendulum swing here, though. We have me and you kind of on one end where it's just like, sure, why not? There's no reason why not. These these are all the same beings. They're all the same race. They just split. And they have different tribes that evolved in different ways and have different realms. And then we have other people who are like, this is what the lore tells me I can do. Or and, and it on it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't tell you what you can do and who you can worship. However, that's how they interpret it, which is fine. Um, this is who the lore says that I can venerate, or this is who the lore says is a god, therefore worthy of veneration. Right? They make that conclusion. They're not wrong. They're not wrong. But I do see it as a limited perspective, probably because I'm over here in this camp, and I'm like, look at all these, look at all the shit you can do. I'm not going to squeeze it into this little box right here, this little list on a paper. That that doesn't work for me. That that again, I'm not here for the box. I am here for the path and the connection and the understanding, right? And so I'm not interested. I'm not interested in structure in that way. That isn't heathenry to me. Well, yeah, and canon's a weird subject anyways because canon is just like <laughs> A list of rules by which by which other things are judged, essentially, is what canon actually is. So, like, since in since nowhere in our source material does it say that there are no other gods, it's not canon that there are no other gods. Strictly and Facts. purely speaking, in a literary standpoint, it is not canon that those are the only gods that we have. Right. Well, and the other thing too is, um, there can't be, there can't be. To think of one source reference that we have, again, like we have the prose and poetic, which is the main, we have other source material, but people discount it all the time for one reason or another, which 
is fine. It's what it is. I do the same thing, right? I'm like, I'm not really a big fan of that work because he was this person and his motives were this. Or because he was limited to this lens, right? Right. But to not think of Snorri's works in the same way, we again are only looking at stories from a few regions where mm-hmm. heathenry and the, the scope of these stories was massive. It spread out yeah. over such a huge area. And we know for a fact that we are missing pieces. There are references oh, yeah. in the lore that we have to stories we don't have. We don't know where all of Odin's names came from. The tales that are in Grimnismal that reference these battles and these these conflicts that he had and these experiences he had, we don't have those. Those are just like, oh yeah, remember this guy? And the person in the story is like, yep. And we're like, who? You know? Um... So we we can see in our lore that there are pieces missing. So I can't say that that is what it is, full stop. That is not a black and white thing to me. It can't be. Um, when you're looking at the fucking Copenhagen fire of 1728, which was essentially the the Norse Alexandria, right? Where it was it was popular. It was it was popular to collect Norse works. There was a revival period, um, and a fire took out so much of that material. So mm-hmm. much of that material to where all we have. That's why we are so lucky to have what we have, because it is entirely possible that that could have been entirely destroyed and we wouldn't have any source material at all. Right. You know, but like you, you, to me, to me, you must acknowledge that we are missing pieces. And it is silly at the very least to assume that we have a full picture. We can't, we don't, we can't possibly. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's known and it's generally accepted by basically everybody, even people who are lore purists, that we don't have everything. Like, this was primarily an oral tradition, you know, however long ago these stories started up to and including maybe 2,000 or more years ago, which is speculative, of course. But we we accept that. We, we understand that we are reconstructing something that we are missing so much of. Um, it's... It's, I'm not going to say that it's Swiss cheese because there aren't just holes. It's we're missing whole chunks. We're missing everything because going back to earlier in this episode about not having homogeny in their practice in Scandinavia, the Old Norse just didn't. They just didn't. Like hearth cults were very common. We know that hearth cults were very common, that they weren't shared very widely. You know, these people didn't have a religion. This was just their way of life. And so they would very frequently, most likely, because it was not a religion with a scripture, make up their own stuff and the stories that we have are just what remains we're missing so much absolutely and you're right about that what we have is a slice of swiss cheese from an entire block we're missing the rest of the block (laughs) right right not only are we missing holes we're missing entire books you know we're missing absolutely we might be maybe missing chapters and sentences as well but we're missing entire volumes when we know that you know, to the modern lens, Odin is the main dude. He's the main bee based on our stories and how he's kind of elevated. Um, but we know that in other areas, Njord was the main bee. Frey was the main bee. Like in Sweden, it was Njord and Frey. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you can look at the the temples and things of that nature. The giant stone phalluses everywhere. Like the, <laughs> the those stories are Frey and Njord based, Right. Yeah. So like we we know we, the stories we have on Frey are minimal, minimal. There had to have been more that we are missing so much of. But yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. I'm glad that you brought it up about, you know, 
we can't really we can't really say at least in my opinion we cannot say who is and who is not quote unquote worthy of veneration um i wouldn't at least some people do but i i would not i mean i think that it's 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 everyone's um prerogative if they want to say that to them something isn't a god or isn't a deity or is one or the other like to 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 a person your your personal practice is perfectly valid if you don't believe that fenrir is a god to you that's perfectly valid but when you go and then you try to curtail somebody else's worship of what they consider a, a god that's where i have to draw lines because what is to me is not what is to others and right. i don't think that any mortal person has the authority to tell anyone else what is or is not a god we don't make those rules well, and like that's kind of how I feel too, because I feel like I was drawn to this path by a specific God, right? I'm not saying that I was called to the path by a God or whatever, but I do feel like I was drawn here and that I closely related with one one specific deity. And that has changed over time. Um, but who am I to say that another deity didn't draw someone else here if they're not listed in my list of appropriate deities? Like if somebody said, Fenrir was the one that called to me, he came up in my dreams, and then I started walking this path. Who am I to say that that's bullshit? You know, right, if they want to venerate Fenrir for, for that, uh, I feel like that's appropriate, honestly. Yeah. Am I going to venerate yeah. Fenrir? I don't really have an interest. But then again, I don't have an interest in venerating a lot of the people that are on the official gods list. <laughs> same, same. It's also an interesting topic, too, is that we don't have to. No. Some people think that, like, you must venerate all of the deities that are deities in our... You, no, you don't. No, you don't. I agree it does with not you. make you monotheistic to only venerate one or a few. It does not make you monotheistic because you believe in the others. Right? That's what that's what makes a person polytheistic is the belief in multiple deities. Right. And I, I know a lot of Norse animists who don't even bother venerating the gods. They work more with the uh, land vitir, the land spirits, and uh, their ancestors primarily. You know, they don't they don't really worry too much about creating reciprocal relationships with gods. They believe they exist, you know, which makes them the Norse animists, but they're not really worried about building frith with those beings. Right. I offer to several gods, but I don't work with them. Right. I do. But again, when you have a whole group of heathens, you can have a hundred heathens in the room and you're gonna have a hundred different heathen practices. And that's Absolutely. a cool thing. That's what keeps me interested. I have never been interested in an organized religion. You no. know, um, I don't like it. I don't like I don't like the uh, assumed authority. I don't like the inability to look beyond what is given to me. And so I I relish the fact that I can create my own understanding from the path, and it's perfectly valid. Yeah, you know? that's. I don't practice any organized version of heathenry. And that's why when people bring up, should there be an organized version of heathenry? Should we organize into a single path? I'm always vehemently against it because not only would I never tell somebody else how to practice their faith, I'm not going to let anyone tell me how to practice mine. I know. I was like, who's organizing it? Who's who's writing this official guide to heathenry? Right. Like, there are plenty of books about that, like Guides to Heathenry, Essential oh, sure. true by Diana Paxson. Like, there are lots and lots of ways that people oh, have sure. attempted to create some kind of, like, linear path in heathenry. I just know I'm not about it. My path is my own. My practice is my own. And no one gets to tell me how to do it. No, no. I am several raccoons in a trench coat. There is nothing organized about me. Right. I, I, I do not want you telling me what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. I don't. 
And that's also, that's again, why we do what we do here, which is, you know, empowering people to find their own way. I feel yeah, like there's listeners. so much to be learned there. There's so much to be learned in that walk. Discovering the self, discovering your own connections with the beings that be, you know? Yeah. Your path is your own, listeners. Like, you you take, if you want to read everything, read everything. Craft yeah. your own path. You do not need to allow anyone to tell you how to practice your faith because it's not theirs. It's yours. It's your path. You are taking the steps down this path. So don't let anyone else tell you how to do it or that you, what you're doing is wrong. Don't. Correct. Um, I loved this. I loved this conversation. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to nerd the fuck out. Of course. I, I think that it's really an interesting topic, like the idea of creation and the Big Bang, because everything you said is so on point. Like it is the, the culmination of energy being dispersed and created and, and ordered by some other kind of energy that was created from that energy, which is the purpose. same exact thing. On purpose. On purpose. It's fantastic. By design. There's the difference. But I love that. Like, I love that. And I mean, it's not it's not a it's not a widespread theory. I actually like looked up on Reddit to see if I could find anybody talking about it to see if any if this was just me being up in the night and like creating and drawing the similarities and not I don't see a lot of people talking about it. Um, But that's okay. That's okay. Maybe they'll start now. You know, maybe they should. I love it. I think it's a really fun thought exercise. I think it's a really fun theory to look into. Um, But yeah, next week, we're going to be getting into the Norse Sky Daddy. We're going to be getting... (laughs) Our favorite, our favorite god, Odin, the All-Father. Yeah, there's so much to say. There's so much to say about There Odin. is so much. There really <laughs> is. And there will be a lot to say. We we uh this may be a make or break show for us. <laughs> oh, we're gonna lose the Odinists. We're gonna lose the Norse Christians. What I call I... them, the sky sky daddy enthusiasts. Yeah. Cause like that's the thing. Um to I, I do feel that there is a tendency from people that come from an organized religion and, and hold one higher than the others um, to ignore all of the fallibility within that person. You know, like there is a lot to Odin that's not perfect. You know, he's not the all seeing. He's not the all knowing. He's not he's not a lot of things that people attribute to him. And we're going to get into it, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. It it's uh it's going to be an interesting conversation. I'm also going to get into how our gods are uh contextually not omnipotent and not omnipresent because we have particular stories, right, that tell us when a god or goddess is somewhere and not somewhere else, which means that by definition they are not omnipresent. No. No, absolutely not. No. Um yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to the deep dive. I think it's going to be illuminating. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Hearth of Weird podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on TikTok at Hearth of Weird Podcast to stay up to date on all things heathenry. 
Every small interaction you have with us helps us grow. We appreciate it so much. You can email us directly with all of your heathenry questions at hearthpodcastteam at gmail.com. Be well, and as always, thank Thank you you for for listening. listening.